Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey gang, welcome back to this week's episode of Ranching Reboot. The inspiration for this week's episode came from some questions some local ladies had that were passed on to me, so I decided to step up and give it a swing. The best guy I knew to answer a lot of those questions is my good friend, Matt Cleffer. So Matt, thanks for joining us again. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? You know, it's... I can't really complain. It's been a pretty good year. Um could always use a little bit more moisture, but, uh, you know, still, grass is still holding out. Cows look good and uh, looking good going into the winter. And the market hasn't crashed yet, totally? Well, I mean, it's not great. I'm not uh, – I don't really know what anything's been selling for, like, lately. But, uh, you know, I know it's not great. Fats are undervalued. Box beef is still sky, sky high. and. You know, it, it's been in the news the last couple of weeks that, you know, there's even food prices are going up skyrocketing. What, uh, like my produce I've noticed is pretty bad. Like yeah, it's, <clears throat> most affordable stuff. It's been really high. I think we're only seeing the beginning of the evil teeth of hyperinflation. Yeah. Like you watch several economists, especially on YouTube, uh, and most of them really not directly connected to the, you know, the food system, but they're all guys that are either investing in like gold, silver, cryptocurrency, uh, real estate. And about every third video, I've started to notice a trend like it all has, they're all like, hey, watch, watch the price of food, watch the price of food. It used to be like, hey, watch lumber. And then it was, hey, watch uh, commodities of like sheet metal and electronics and heating and cooling for construction. And now it's just all food every time. So I'm kind of curious to see what happens this winter, because, you know, when, uh, you know, you watch Arlen Suderman, who used to be former head of the USDA somehow, and he keeps triangulating all this stuff happening with our grain exports and harvest. Once all that grain's harvested and in, and then we know how much we have in reserves. This might be a pretty shaky winter. So, you know, and that's gosh, like supply chain disruptions. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the big theme here. And, you know, we've seen a lot of supply chain disruptions, you know, microchips. We've seen it in the beef, you know, we've seen it in the beef supply. Just trying to get parts for anything is yeah. difficult right now. So let, let's talk about, like, let's dive into some food security stuff and why food security is so important. And uh, one of the things I really want to talk to you about, Matt, is like what you're doing with your kids and homeschooling. Why is it so important for food security? Well, that's 
to be honest with you, we we have kind of really rerouted the uh, vision of our farm for the short term and and making sure that we ourselves and our neighbors, we have enough food on hand, my kids, you know, with our homeschool co-op and all of our homeschoolers in our group are all kind of prepper minded, you know, yeah. they all have yeah. large families. Uh, they all eat super healthy. They're all very connected to their immediate neighbors or surroundings, you know? And so, you know, we, and I'm very close with our neighbors. We try to make sure that we, you know, use food, you know, as, as a ministry to reach out to them and make sure we have enough hands. So we do like food log mentally. We'll figure out, okay, how much food do we have on hand? Do we have enough food to feed our immediate six neighbors, you know? And that really changed. I mean, we changed our freezer setup, our uh, canning setup for this year, uh, trying to think about, okay, in terms of calories, if we're going to try to store calories long term, uh, what's what's going to go the furthest? So are we going to, you know, try to waste time on canning applesauce or are we going right, to try to do right. like, like learning how Lean to last? Yeah. So we did a bunch of dry goods storing. My wife got a hold of a really nice vacuum sealer. We did some Kevlar bags and sealed five-gallon buckets, and we put off a bunch of dry goods. You know, that type of food insurance, I can't tell you, like, I don't know. The thought goes through my mind where I watch people in highly densely populated areas, and I'm like, do you know how fast things go downhill if something does happen to that supply chain? Like, you listen to, you know stuff like one second after and basically it's the unraveling of society based on what things go first and what changes in the mentality of a human where you go from completely civil society like we've enjoyed our whole lifetimes but just how fragile that illusion is with the absence of a few different things like three and then days all the it's, food shortages it wouldn't even take three days before before civil order starts to break down okay is that what it is wow it's very very short people think oh i've got enough food in my house to last me seven days well you, you might but the average person is literally living meal to meal day to day i'm not even kidding and especially in inner cities i mean it's so so fragile and it's so sad like because the grocery store it's right there it's on the way home it's convenient a grocery store now yeah yeah a grocery store is literally stocked for several hours. We're not even talking multiple days. Oh, really? You know, our our yeah. little Gian, How big is your town, Brian? Uh, Medicine Lodge is about, I think we've got about 1,800 people. And okay. we have a good independent locally owned grocery store that just built a new building and, and they're successful. And people complain that, you know, their prices are a little high, but they do source what they can locally and it's worth having it there just to support it because it's not a dylan's and it's not you know it's not a walmart yeah you're lucky. Where are you based out of Matt? i'm from fredonia kansas okay we we're lucky we've got a little gnw here and they they don't quite source as many things locally like what you guys do but we also have a, a little meat market in town and a few things to kind of fall back on we do have uh I call it our graveyard stone, a dollar general, because that's like how to signal if a town is dying is if it has a, a dollar general that's sucking the money from the emo, middle and, and lower class and shipping it overseas. That's 
but we'll go on that rant a different day. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> for food security, uh, we've been helping people just learn the basics of canning uh, and food prep and food storage. And we just planted our fall garden uh, yesterday, actually. And how much space it really doesn't take to be able to grow your own food. And I'll tell you what, <clears throat> most parents, especially want, you know, soccer moms that are on the go, really struggle with getting our kids to eat healthy. You know, both all of all three of us were probably raised in the age of convenience where our parents were like, oh my gosh, everything's got to go quick and look how easy this is because yes. the generation before that, everything was so inconvenient. But yeah. we crossed this bell curve where we, where we compromised, uh, you know, convenience for quality. And we saw our health go downhill and one generation suffered for it drastically. Mm -hmm. So there is a bell curve of there. Okay. How can I do this smart and not waste a bunch of time? I don't weed my garden. I spend about, you know, a couple hours planting it. The water's all automated. I don't have time to go out there and mess with that. I roll out a big tarp and no weeds can come up through it. Just the plants come up and uh, we harvest, we have one harvest for it. We did uh, 400 pounds of cabbage, uh, made our own sauerkraut. Love those kind of sauerkraut. Mother-in-law has the best. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know. There's just so many things that we as humans could be doing where we're just not put into a place yet. It's coming, but where we've all been consumers, we consume and eat and consume and consume and eat, but none of us have really had to be producers. Mm -hmm. That's going to change real quick. And I can't wait. I'm so excited because that's when we're going to really reclaim and take our health back into our own hands, I think. So what are your thoughts, Brian? Well, I, I've got, a, I've got a lot of different directions that I want to go. Right. A lot of things I want to ask you. Um, All right, let's do it. So there's a, you know, we're kind of trying to do a little current events here. So here in my community, um, there's a lot of parents, a lot of mothers really upset the school board about COVID and mask mandates. And we don't really oh, have yeah. to get into that. But what I want to know is how, what would you have to say to a group of moms that's grumpy with the school system that are thinking about starting their own faith-based homeschool co-op? All right. So a little bit of my background. Back in 2017, I used to be a government school teacher. I shoveled poo in those trenches. Okay. I, I was there and you know what? I love the kids and I like the idea of a community public school, but that's not what they are anymore. Those no. aren't the same schools that you and I grew up in in high school. <clears throat> There's a completely different agenda. The standards of this everybody's got to win thing has drug the standard of excellence down so far so that we can accommodate everybody and nobody feels like they're a loser in the grand scheme of education, everybody gets to hop over the line of graduation just so our graduation rates look good. Meanwhile, you see towns like, you know, Baltimore where their graduation rate is 18 or 20%. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And probably but, most of their graduates, you know, are illiterate or couldn't even pass a basic oh, skills man. test. We have never had a generation pass through like we do now in terms of complete 
disconnect from reality. I mean, yes, can't read, can't write, can't comprehend. <clears throat> yeah, it Don't feels intentional to too. Like when you look at it and you step back and you're like, is this intentional? Like it's not, th- there's a bigger plan than just dumbing, I mean, dumbing down of America, right? So yeah. it, it, you know, that tinfoil hat, I'm definitely wearing it where I, all of these pieces are aligning that everyone has talked about. And now it's just like slapping us in the face. I mean, I, I could grab my tinfoil hat too and say, yeah. yes, there is a conspiracy. Yeah. I don't know if there's a conspiracy so much as there is a convenience factor. Hey, like yeah. some of it's an infectious philosophy and it's attractive. Yeah. I like that. And yeah. And it's easy. It's easy to, you know, it, it's easy to try to get some short-term benefit to make people feel good in the short term. Oh, yeah. And that's what we've replaced a lot of the hardship in life with is, is a short-term feel good. And we've taken a lot of the struggle out of it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I will never, ever regret my decision of walking into my superintendent's job. And mind you, I was... I loved what I did. I was very effective. I had a great classroom and a great following and reputation and teaching. I had, you know, I taught, I taught music and, and my bands were just killer. They knocked the roof off the place. But when I went to start at homeschooling and all of a sudden my circle of influence went from thousands of people in the rural area and community that knew who I was to this stage of isolation. And I'm under my own roof, waging battles and slaying, uh wars in my own house and that that influence suddenly became so isolated i was like okay what things are important and my wife and i really went around and around about this because i saw what happened in those public schools it's like are we really going to worry about math and reading and science and and biology and ecology and chemistry and uh reading comp and all that stuff or are those going to be vehicles for me to teach soft skills like work ethic respect okay uh you know everything that you the image of you how you want your children to be so i i drew this board and this was like the the clefer board of principles in our house and you know we we made some house rules we're like okay we're going to practice gratitude on days only ending in why Mm -hmm. uh we're not going to use the same mindset to solve problems that we use to create them and there was like seven or eight different ones on there. And so we just started going to war with, okay, how can we learn how to be a good human being? And then we use math and biology and all that stuff to teach those principles. But because I know a lot of people that know math and biology, but they're, they're just downright <laughs> shitty human beings. Mm-hmm. And the, the variable was, well, what, can I gra- what kind of grade can I get in those grades but nobody wants to work with those people in the real world. And if you're, if you're a mom and you're thinking about homeschooling, I guarantee you, you start talking about doing it. And there's about seven or eight other moms and dads are go, you know what? I'll do it with you. Cause that's exactly what I found that we started a little homeschool co-op. We've got about eight families. We just joined this morning out at the airport and taught the kids how to fly an airplane. And they got to go up with a local pilot. It's flexible. It's very inexpensive. I don't know if you know, but, the government pays a public school, what is it, like $6,800 per kid per year to attend uh, a public school. That's why those school secretaries well, I thought it was are way like, more than that. Is it? I, that's like if, if they, 
Yeah, you are right. I think it's. I thought it was like sixteen or eighteen thousand dollars. Well, I I remember the figure of. No, I think it's closer to ten because I thought uh, the figure of if I homeschool my own four kids and the government paid me to do it, I could make forty thousand dollars a year homeschooling career. Yep. Yeah, and and uh, there's no way that'll happen, and there's no way I'd take the money because I don't want them breathing down my neck and knocking on my door. Controlling what you'd have to do. Yeah. Yeah. You can just keep your money, okay? Go give it. Go give it to the uh, the extremely inefficient uh, public school system that are always going to cry for more funding. More funding. Schools are underfunded. No, they're inefficient. Mm-hmm. It, you know, but, like we could talk about you know inefficiencies of federal spending, but you know, every time the government gets involved, they just want to throw more money at the problem, and quality goes down. You know. We can think back to George, you know, back to the George Bush era uh, when I was getting out of high school and, you know, a lot of my friends were, uh, you know, getting ready to graduate college and whatnot. And they were like, we're out of here. You know, we want to be teachers. There's three, three of my really good friends wanted to be teachers, but they, they hated the no child left behind act. They didn't want anything to do with it. Didn't we didn't want to be a part of the education system in this country. So they went overseas to teach English as a, as a primary language. Really? Yeah. And, you know, so we start introducing all these standardized tests. We, oh, our test scores aren't as great as the rest of the world. So we need to spend more money. And it's like this ever increasing machine of diminishing returns. You know, the madness has to stop. And I think part of the problem that we're getting into now, you know, is we have a lot of local school boards. You know, and they're supposed to be making all the decisions on how that school is run with an asterisk. Yeah. Because they get so much money back from the federal government and the state. They've basically given up a lot of their control and a lot of freedom on how to run a school district to the government. And the government is basically telling them, well, if you want to if you want to get more money from us in the future to repair your buildings or build a new sports ball field, you have to do this. And that really hamstrings the board. And, you know, you turn your, you know, your community members, your superintendents and your school board members, they're like, uh, you know, yes, we know that this is right. But if we don't do this, we're not going to have enough money to even have a school next year. And that's kind of a hell of a position to put people in. It's, it's very unfortunate uh, where communities have landed themselves when it used to be the community could pool their funds together and support the school by themselves without even the state government contributing outside tax levy money. And you know what? It worked. And if I'll tell you what, for those homeschool moms we spoke to earlier that are thinking about doing it and they're, you know, you look at these individualized homeschool curriculums, all of our homeschool books are literally written pre-1920 you go back and look at the literacy and vocabulary of kids in late 1800s and oh, oh my word. yeah they're like a 1920s fourth grader would kick a college graduate's ass right now uh-huh. oh hands down i mean so, you look i yeah. think if you you google that uh what is it eighth grade exit exam from salina high school it's on google but it's like from 1895 and it's it it actually has like hard <laughs> Have you seen that? It's insane. It's like, well, what, what we've expanded to go, oh, look at us. We're so educated. Well, all we've really done over the, the you know, the mechanization, industrialization, 
age is we've given all the, the computing power that used to be up here to machines. And oh, we yeah. use, you know, we've replaced, oh my gosh, look at what humans can do. Well, look at what humans can't do anymore. Do you know that you look at what humans can't do? Well, when they get to be a certain age, what they can't do is go out and like make a lap around the store without having to sit down or being able to compute math in their head because they didn't have a calculator. Uh, I'm sorry, but we're, we're taking our, our schooling way back. And I'm, I'm thrilled to see what happens because if you homeschool your kid and they, they know, they know how to work, they can look somebody in the eye, they can shake their hand. They're going to have so many jobs thrown at them. They're not going to know what to do. But the biggest thing is, is they're going to have an entrepreneurial mind and they're going to hire the kids to work for them that were public school kids uh, that, you know, don't know how to think for themselves and go out and, and have a dream and, and meet their goals. They're, they're going to be somebody that works for somebody else and helps them meet their dreams and goals. And that to me is like, I don't know. Both my parents are entrepreneurs and you know what? They're everybody around. And I'm sure your town's no different. Everybody is having such a hard time getting people to, to keep a job. Oh, it's terrible. Like I went to Home Depot and I knew what I needed, but I just needed a manager to sign off on it. It took an hour because they were so short staffed. And I was like, it's fine. I get it. Like you guys just need like 500 more people. Um, but it's, it's everywhere and you see the signs everywhere and you're just like, it's just going to get worse and worse. We're going to have to become more self-sufficient. The, we had a construction crew at our place pouring a pad for an add-on to our house. And I was talking to the construction guy about, you know, he said he, he was so late. He was three months behind getting to our house because of not having help to do it. And, you know, he brought his crew and it was like, you know, he was doing as best he could with a D plus crew and I felt bad for him. But anyway, I was like, uh, let's rewind. Cause he'd been doing this for like 35 years. I said, what did your crew look like 35 years ago? He goes, well, I tell you what, it took me seven guys to help pour this pad and smooth it out today. 35 years ago, it was me and two other guys. And they worked for me for 20 plus years until they started their own company. It takes twice as many men to do the manpower work of what it did 20 years ago. He said the manpower that the physical horsepower men have is just, they can't work long, tough, hard hours in the sun anymore. They, they tag out. So I don't know. Why do you think that is Matt? I know you've got a theory. You bet I do. Uh, (laughs) So in, in the, what is that? Uh, during the Nixon campaign, their head of USDA, I can't remember his name. I did a video on it not long ago when he did the go big or go home uh, campaign for farms. All right. That was the beginning of the end for small town baseball, snot nose helmet cracking football teams because these little small farms started to dry up one by one. First, the hog market crashed, and then it'd be commodity crops, and then it'd be cows, and every one of them that was a specialized farm would just see these dives, dairy, you know, and they'd trade off which one would crash, and then all these farms started drying up, and then all these smaller communities started drying up, and that was really where work ethic among neighborhoods in our own country's resilience of being more more independent, self-reliant, 
all that started to go away and we put all our dependence in the middle for convenience. We compromised everything for convenience and, and kids forgot how to work. And then we got into this, this age of just complete intellectual illusion and delusion. Like, you know, look at how smart I am. Look at how much of a social justice warrior I am. Look at my you know, this skinny, frail model of a, of a man that we put on TV and all these reality shows and showed that to kid and go, this is what a man is guys. And we put it in movies and Hollywood and all these kids saw it and they, they watched it. And, and that was, you know, I remember growing up and like, you look at the skinny, frail guys that were on uh, TV. And it was like, every time you'd watch one of those reality TV shows, like I loved home improvement and I loved Tim Allen, but it was always like the guy was an always just kind of portrayed an idiot a fool a slob you know and that mentality really bled into our society that you know the woman wears the pants and she makes all the decision and the guy's just a fool and a slob and and he's not you know that really demoralized the image of men in our society and i tell you what nowadays and all of our faith-based um stuff we we teach just hard-nosed for men and women the the uh, uh, masculine feminine roles and why god made us so different but those strengths that make us so different like when we take on those roles as men or women i mean our 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 family strength our community strength uh when you know women show their complete respect for for men and men show their complete love for women those roles, when we take those on and really soak those in, man, you cannot, you cannot break that down. You cannot sever that bond that a family has. And once we started slowly untying the strength that families had, man, our country is in shambles. That's my theory. Okay. So but- out, of the, out of the eight families in your homeschool co-op, how do you handle teaching duties? Uh, each, yeah, each, uh, mom or family kind of has a specialty that they just really like. Like I obviously teach music to all the kids. Uh, we have another lady, she used to run a preschool that she started. She does science. She loves science. Uh, another mom, she does all of our outdoor sort of animal science, horticulture stuff. Um, and we just sort of team tag, uh, we use, all of our different homes is kind of classrooms and uh, we try to, we try to pair up. We didn't do this as much last year, but this year our goal is we really want to try to pair up with as many community specialists like welders and construction workers. And uh, today was with a pilot and uh, just really get the kids sort of future minded about, you know, acquiring a skill that they can make money at so that when they're 18 years old, they've been working at the skill for several years, they can save up their own money, buy their own land and just be very future minded instead of like having money to buy toys. It's like having money to like, you know, own land, build a house, start a family, you know, uh, that is, I'll tell you what, that's the most dangerous mindset our government would ever want to keep from a a kid is like, Hey, go, go blow all of the money you haven't earned yet on student loans in college, you know, but I don't know. So 
little side note here. There's a there's a young man in my life I've been acquainted with for, I don't know, 12, 15 years. And he was a homeschool kid, and he worked in a restaurant. And because of his experience working in the restaurant, being homeschooled, he got offered a job as an electrician at 16. Wow. Like, with with a big company that serves the whole western half of the state. Okay. Wow. At 20, he was overseeing the construction of a of a new jail, of a new county jail up in northwest Kansas at 20. He since left that job after they paid for all of his school, all of his training, found a higher paying job. He's home more. And at the kid's 23. He owns two houses, three pickups, everything's paid for. Like He's always showing, you know, he's always showing me the cool guns that he bought. You know, we were just talking yeah. last night. He's saving up for another pair of night vision goggles. Doesn't have a student loan bill. <laughs> See, at all. Never even thought about it. That is, that's the kind of stories that make me a very happy man. Hearing yeah, that. I guess my- I should add my story. <laughs> so my husband was home, is homeschooled, was homeschooled. He's a veterinarian now. Uh, we just finished veterinary school or he did. Uh, the oldest went to West Point and is a major in the Army. Sister has her master's degree. They're all very self-sufficient. They can, they can do any kind of construction job. They can do any kind of electrical working. They have, I think uh, Matthew has his mechanical engineering degree and he basically renovated my whole house for me. So that was really nice not having to outsource that. Um, it is, it's just amazing the life skills that they have and also the success that they have because there is that stigma about homeschoolers because even when my husband meets new people and they find out he was homeschooled they're like I had no idea like aren't you supposed to be some freak weirdo who can't socialize it's like no dude we're we're better than you to be honest not me but but he is (laughs) yeah Society did such a good job at painting that stigma of homeschool kids because they're unsocialized. Okay, they're unsocialized because look at look at what we're doing in public schools where we're isolating these kids. And for the first time in human history, we're having kids use kids as their role models rather than, you know, the elders of the tribe or the society, you know. Kids looking up to other kids was the most destructive thing we ever did, I think, in our own society where, you know, what what are you trying to do? Like when you're rubbing shoulder to shoulder with that, well, you want to have, you completely screw up your whole paradigm mm-hmm. of maturation, of trying to compare yourself with these extremely fake variables. Whereas when you use the adult, you're like, oh, I respect that man because of how honest he is or because of uh, how hard a worker he is. These completely different qualities that most kids don't look up to other kids for. And then they end up being adults with that same mindset. Very destructive. And I, I remember when I was teaching government school, the only reason why I became curious about homeschool was I had two homeschool kids come into my classroom that wanted to uh, play music and the, the public school let them and I, they blew my roof off. I mean, they shook my hand and looked me in the eye and asked him, asked me if I needed help and help clean my band room up. I was like, what is wrong with you kids? And then I started talking to their moms and dads and be like, uh, I need to know what y'all do. Cause this oh, is, yeah, absolutely. And then I went to a homeschool group and watched with it. I went home that night, told my wife, I was like, babe, we need a homeschool. And she's like, you're crazy. We're not doing that. 
And then I took her and showed her what was going on. And she was like, okay, let's try it. And then I quit my job and everybody thinks you're crazy when you, when you say you're, that's what you're going to do. They look at you like, that's like the whole theme of this podcast. <laughs> you, you go, yeah, you, you going to homeschool, you're going to ruin your kids. Oh, okay. They're going to, the they're going to grow up weird. They're never going to have any friends. Look, the very three job offers and they're all fighting for him right now it's it's actually such a fun problem to have is to see all the yeah. hard work that he's done come together if that's what we want to call weird then yes my kids yes. are going to be weird they are going to be different and it's going to be the best weird and the best different you've ever seen in your life so here we go and just do it mm-hmm. i mean if if being weird is kind of like starting to get conflated with being a good human and, you know, being honest and looking people in the eye, you know, and, you know, and having, it our, our, is. And having our 12 and 13 year old children know how to interact with an adult in a professional situation. Like it is beautiful. Oh, that is, I don't know. I love weird kids. If that's what they are. I think there's just, I think that's the coolest thing ever. And I'll tell you what, COVID was the best thing that ever happened for homeschooling because so many parents woke up to what was going on in their local public schools and they're like yep i'm not doing this anymore we're out and every little mass mandate that comes in more and more parents go all right that's it enough's enough we're not doing this anymore and they just figure out a way to make it work and you know what it is hard and it does suck and it is a challenge and it's the best fight you're ever going to fight it is it is difficult i'm not going to lie but you won't regret it. So let's talk about maybe some of the lessons learned over the last uh, year, year and a half of your, your homeschool co-op adventure. Like what have been some things that uh, you wish you would have known when you started down this path? And, um, you know, what, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. So I think the worst thing that I had in my mind as, as a former teacher was like this idea that I knew how to teach. And when you're teaching your own kids, you got to erase that real quick. And when you totally change the values and the why of what you're doing, I, I really, you know, I did a really good job at trying to stick to this just schedule and we're going to do this and, and we're going to make sure we get all the way through this book. And there's just days where you wake up and your kid is just not there and you cannot be afraid to deviate from the schedule change the environment like you know what we need a mental health day we're going to go outside and we're going to learn how to launch paper or like build an airplane and launch it off the side of this hill okay let's leave this workbook in here you're not don't do homeschooling to try and mimic public school at home no that's not the best you're not really accessing the best parts of homeschool like i love giving my kids freedom to i you know we do have several you know basic skills stuff we do out of books, but I want them to go outside and do it in nature. Uh, There's so much great research that, you know, when your kids go outside, they're in the sunlight, they're hearing the sounds of, you know, birds and bugs and everything. And they're doing it sitting under a tree, like their brain is, there's so much more of their prefrontal cortex with neurological activity than what they are sitting in a room under fluorescent lights. Uh, the other thing is that as the sun changes and the seasons change and it's lighter and darker out, 
change up your your schedule of time and when you do it like if it's cold outside in the morning do your homeschool stuff and then go outside and and play and then in the summertime when it's cool in the mornings go outside and play in the morning and when it's hot as balls out come inside and do your work in the afternoon like you you got to play to the elements a little bit but the biggest thing is making sure you're getting outside making sure your time you know when we were kids we still had recess kids don't get that anymore like that that time of really they don't get it anymore hardly ever they're so worried about their test scores so they can get more government money and some of the kids might get hurt and you know they don't oh yeah they don't want kids to get made fun of because they're overweight and can't participate or can't run as fast or it's it's a it's a rough go but the biggest thing with uh, for us as parents especially as dads is like get in the grass and wrestle and rough and tumble with with your kids you ever watched an animal especially dogs do this all the time like they will they will play fight with their kids you'll see them you know like they're biting them on the neck but they're not really doing that they're they're teaching them self-defense they're teaching them spatial awareness they're teaching them uh like there's a really great uh psychologist that talked about wrestling with your kids and and really getting them to to feel the the you know the the pain of you know, contortion and, and, and self-defense every day. I'm not, I'm not talking like beating your kids up. I'm talking like rough tumble playing with them in an environment where they, they have to, to push back a little bit. That is so huge for brain development, uh, muscle skeletal development. Um, it just really, you, you've seen the, like the 15 year old kid that's just so physically awkward you know, like their feet are this big and they don't know really how to, like they aren't really fully aware that their arm is actually this long. I feel personally really- attacked, Matthew. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I'm, you're a lot less physically awkward than what I'm talking about. You are, this, you, this is not you. I'm talking like. Maybe when you were a kid though. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that so much of that has to do with us when we're little or younger not being able to to wrestle you know like if you were to do that in public school you'd get taken to the principal's office if you were to wrestle on the playground we just weren't allowed to do that much when we were kids man you let kids wrestle with you as even you know five six both my sons they love to wrestle it is just it completely changes how kids interact with each other. You know, you heard stories like kids in the fifties and sixties, how they'd like slug it out on the playground, you know, and then they get up and shake each other's hand. Well, and then we, (laughs) kids don't do that. What do they do? They take a gun to their school and try and settle it because they don't understand how to settle. No conflict resolution. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh man. They learn conflict resolution from call of duty, not from dad. Yeah. Oh dude, that might be the best line on this whole podcast number one rule no video games play life as reality okay i i have to share a funny story so joel and i were checking out the grocery store last week it was like 9 30 at night like we were just running errands really last minute and the guy before us goes i'm either gonna go to the bar or i'm gonna go home and play videos so my wife doesn't get mad at me for being like in her business and I looked at Joel and I was like I am just so thankful that you're my husband (laughs) (laughs) man you'd be surprised even they're like he was like 40 years old and I was like that's what you're gonna I mean I get it people play video games but I just bar video games those are your two options (laughs) 
not well, not great options. Not yeah. great options. Not somebody I would ever let my wife or my daughter marry. Because uh, we talk about that a lot, a lot uh, with me and my kids. Like, what do you want your husband to be like? What do you want your wife to be like, boys? And you know what? We that was the other cool thing is we do a lot of stuff where say, boys, you do this and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you take mom out for a date and she'll take him out, you know, to breakfast or something like that. And they have to like mm -hmm. open the door and they have a chance to earn money on, on our farm, but they use that money to pay for their date with mom. And, uh, I take the girls out for dates and stuff like that, where it's like, I'm teaching them how to be the man that I, they are going to marry someday. You know, that's, that's my biggest goal is like, I don't want you to just go out in society and settle for somebody that's good looking or maybe has a bunch of money. Like, are they a man or are they a woman, you know, that is just going to absolutely adore who you are? Uh, there aren't many of those out there. Um, you know, I, so, I've yeah. seen, I've seen a lot of memes going around, you know, the last six, nine months of, you know, girls in 2018. Oh, I want a man that looks good in skinny jeans and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, the same girls in 2021 are like, I want a man that can, that can hunt a deer and run a homestead and live off grid. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Boom, you know. <laughs> there's, there's just been such a big shift, you know, like the one I saw this morning was, you know, back in the fifties and sixties, all their parents on the farm were like, Oh, you need to go into town where there's, you know, where there's people and there's opportunities. And everybody now it's like, I just want to get out away from people out in the country and learn to grow my own food. And, you know, like, like we just, like we talked about a few minutes ago uh, with the Nixon administration. And I was, like I said, I, I have a hard time seeing a conspiracy because all this is unfolded over such a large, yep. large time scale, right? Yep. So it's got to be more like, you know, this, this stupid consequences, this, yeah. this terrible philosophy about how we should be living our lives has infected so many people and they're all, you know, making these decisions that are just driving us in one direction collectively, but it's not like a, I, I just can't see a conscious. Yeah. A, a conscious conspiracy going on. I guess the reason I feel that way is because I'm like, are people really like that dumb? Like, are they yeah. really not able to use logic? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, tell you what, look at human history. When you put large amounts of humans together, those groups are very yeah. dumb but when you when you space out the humans that's when the mind becomes more primal when you put a lot of human minds together that group is very dumb but man i tell you what like look at ancient rome and and read the stories of you know all of the falls of different human civilizations all we're doing is repeating history that's all this is. Yes. This is the fourth season of the fourth turning. You know, this is the season we're in right now is winter and it's getting ready to be very, very ugly. It's a season of revolution that is upon us. Great book, by the way, the, the fourth turning. The fourth turning of the big wheel of the second age of. Yeah. So what are I guess we can we can kind of sidetrack here. What are some of the signs you're looking for that, you know, that we're close, that we're close to the apocalypse or revelation or, you know, the end of civilized society in, in the Western world or the, the end of oil or industrialized society. What are you looking for? 
Yeah, I mean, if you do it by the numbers, like I'm not really weighing to see, are we there? We are there. It is here. You know, look at a, a, a nation, society, they all go on 250 year cycles and have throughout human history for a long time. And 1776, 2020, we're there. It's here. Okay. There's not any guess as to, okay, is our nation in a state of reformation and revolution and major change? Yes, it is. And so what the biggest thing for us is number one, food security, um, making sure that we, we do as many things as we can to exercise our liberty. That is our freedom to be able to do what it is we want to do uh, without having to be dependent on all the different systems, the healthcare system, the education system, the food system, the transportation system, the electrical system, all of that. But you don't really have to be a tinfoil hat prepper to just be like, you know what, I'm going to keep a, a gas barrel on hand. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that our heating and cooling for our house is able to be used without electricity. We got some wood stoves and, and we've done it in a way that makes it look very, you know, tasteful and modern and new age. It doesn't look like you're living in a, you know, a log cabin with, uh, what is that book? Uh, whatever on the prairie. Uh, my kids were just at that yesterday i'm surprised it blanked my mind uh anyway doing things to make it make, just being well thought out of of not have not having any dependence on the outside world for even our forms of entertainment we don't own a tv my kids don't even know what a commercial is like after dinner's over, we literally have people over to our house for dinner four out of the five weeknights a week. We are, we're very blessed to have a very diverse social circle that we cook for. Uh, when dinner's over, we go into the living area, we get our guitars, mandolins, and fiddles off the wall. We start playing bluegrass. My daughter, she's nine. Uh, she plays fiddle and we sit there and talk about books and we talk about, you know, human culture and, and different things. And my kids are listening to other adults as what we talked about earlier, like kids listening to other kids. Well, that that was the worst thing we as a society did was uh, hire out the education and maturation for our kids to an expert with a degree in teaching. Well, all they're doing is really overseeing those kids look up to other kids. We've already talked about that. Anyway, as far as like the variables in society to watch, like the crashing down of the house of cards. Okay. So the stock market, there's something that was very interesting about Black Tuesday back in the 20s when uh, that stock market crashed. And there's a story that uh, I understand it called the shoe shine boy uh, story. And what happened was, uh, one of the major stock investors, I don't remember if it was JP Morgan or one of those guys was leaving Wall Street. And uh, it, see, it's almost like it was now, like money was super cheap and people were borrowing money to borrow money to borrow money. Okay. And he was walking down the street and he walked up to a shoeshine boy on the corner of Wall Street and something else. And he had, he paid the boy to shine his shoes and the boy gave him stock advice. And it, sent the hairs on his neck that he was standing on a corner taking uh, stock market advice from a little kid. He walked back to the stock market and sold everything he had. He, he sold out right there. 
that was on Monday, the next day, the, that market had crashed. You know, it was the beginning of that major decline that took what, um, two or three months, but that black Tuesday, when the stock market made that initial giant drop, it's like, look at the signs around you and people telling you what to do with your money. Okay. Look at what happened to the petrodollar over in Russia and China. People are bailing on the dollar like crazy. And your, your prices of where else to put your stock, like cryptocurrency, gold and silver, and you watch those prices fluctuate a little bit. Uh, it's just really obvious or the price of real estate in your area. Doing things to absolutely diversify where you have your money right now is so crucial because obviously if the dollar goes the rest of them are going to take a hit too but it, to this point it's which of those is the lesser evil which one is going to fall the least mm -hmm. you know bonds or gold or silver or, or i mean a safe investment right now is is passive income such as real estate but you know if it gets super bad and people can't even pay their rent or people don't I, even have the money to, about. yeah is this yeah that you know we just don't know uh the biggest thing is making sure your bases are covered with your own household and and food and uh just i make an analogy in a lot of my videos of like do you remember did you play baseball as a kid brian oh i played t-ball for like five games <laughs> it's not, not my you, thing did you play softball or anything i played ever? softball i was a catcher yeah so so like I, I used to pitch and when the when the coach decided I'd had enough, he'd let me go out to left field. And I remember standing out in left field because I, I just remember standing on the mound and I could sort of tell from the outfield watching the angle of the bat and how the batter was standing and how where the pitcher was throwing and what yes. pitch was coming. I could I could almost telegraph where that ball was gonna go and I would position myself to be I would get a jump on it. I would take off sprinting in a direction that I thought the ball was going to go and people would look at me crazy, but that jump, that extra step and a half was a difference between a base hit and an out. And in this yeah. situation where you're standing out there in the outfield and you're shifting your feet, shifting your weight from foot to foot because of where you can tell that ball is going to go in human civilization. And you get that extra step or that extra, you know, jump on everybody else. That's the difference between life and death in, in a place where, you know, human civility completely crashes and the illusion of a civil society is completely gone within days. Yeah. That step is huge. Um, and most people are, are, they're just standing there literally thumbing their nose in the outfield, picking bugs off their crotch and, and just are not completely aware there's even a ball game going on. So I would say probably you and I uh, and your audience are probably the all the people that are going to have a jump on everybody else. But the biggest thing is just keep stay flexible and try not to tie yourself down with crazy obligations that allow you to be, you know, mobile, flexible. Uh, just remember, warriors always travel light. Um, that's the biggest thing. So, I, you know, you say warriors travel light. Warriors worry about logistics. Yes. Fighters fight. Warriors worry about logistics. So thinking about logistics, you know, the most important, you know, the three most important things, food, water, shelter. You know, most of us have the whole shelter bit covered. Water, three days without water, three weeks without food. So 
here we are. We're like knocking on the doorstep of fall. Fall's just going to be a few weeks, a few days away when we release this episode. Past time to plant mo- much of a garden. So what are what can we do today, or as you're listening to this, how can we start preparing for further supply chain disruptions and improve our food security for the next 12 to 18 months? Where do we start? Biggest thing is I would go find any farmer right now and go, do you have an animal I could buy in a situation that say things go down and do you have the ability to process it in a way like, you know, do you have an old hand crank meat grinder in your basement? You could dust off and put in some man sweat hours and grind that sucker up and put it in bags and get it in the freezer you'll be so surprised how primitive the tools are. I remember butchering my first steer and I was like, I want to do this and sweat. I want to do this as primitive as I possibly can. I had yes. a gun, I had a steel bar, I had a sharp knife and I had a hand crank meat grinder that I put a, I cheated. I put a pulley yes. on it with an electric motor and you know what, man, we did the first one like that. And I was like, this is awesome. And then I got, I got a meat saw uh and i was able to you know hand cut some pork chops when we did a few uh pigs and and being able to have protein in a time of of you know extreme stress that's the difference you know like when the plague or the pandemic hit in 1918 a lot of those people that succumbed to that spanish flu were the people that were very malnourished you know a lot of them did not have good protein sources and keeping yourself healthy especially in the covid age that's huge you know making sure that you have enough supplements and vitamins vitamin d is a huge one my wife she's in the 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 healthcare system and we well we really work hard on making sure that our bodies are in absolute tip-top fighting shape uh, making sure that we have several months supply of various other medicines, um, supplements, uh, herbs. I mean, that's huge. Health is everything in a time like this. Um, I forgot what else I was going with that. Oh, what about birds, though? don't you think chickens might be or poultry might be easier for people who aren't familiar with raising livestock? Because you could feed them like table scraps and oh yeah yeah okay well and and for that matter i think rabbits like oh, for the yeah. space yeah. for the space they Rabbit take jumps. up and yeah. the conversion rate from you know from dry matter protein rabbits yeah, are like that's very good. true rabbits are definitely the the hands down winner i love rabbits too easy sustainable protein source uh your cornish cross franken chickens are a, a, a close second the worst part about you know, if you're going to try to buy a baby calf and raise it up, you're looking at a really long turnaround for that. But I'm saying like, if, you know, if you need food now, go out in the country, go buy a farmer and go give him a hug and pay him more than what that cow's worth and take it home and put a bullet in his head and sharpen your knife and just go to town, get some buddies together, get a case of beer and go. It's a lot easier than you think. It is. Follow the fat thing. Yeah. How fast we can go back to those primal human values of like, uh, let's let's butcher this animal together, guys. And like, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, let's do it. You know. Yeah, and this time of year, fun. this time of year, a lot of us ranchers we're just coming out of preg check. We got open cows that we got to do something with. 
And you know, I think one of the best uses for an old open cow is you just take her lop her head off and throw the whole thing in the grinder. Boom, baby. That's right. And, you know, if you're listening to this, go find somebody that's got an old open cow, offer them a thousand bucks for it to take it off their hands, take it home, string it up in the yard and process it right there. And yep. it, it's not hard to do, is it, Matt? It's not, you know, and I, I listen to a lot of primitive uh, meat smiths and stuff where they don't even use coolers. Like they'll do it in a time of the year where you can string it up for seven days outside. outside. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know what? I mean, yeah, it might take you four or five guys and a good solid chain and a good heavy tree to get that animal up there. But you know what? nothing's going to bother nothing's going to hurt as long as you keep the cats away or the well, that's what they the... do with the elk right when they're because they can't sometimes they can't pack it out so they'll just they'll quarter it up and then hide it up in the trees and then they'll come back with with the right equipment to, to pack it out right so yeah the whole point of hanging too is just so that the meat uh like is more tender right so you don't even have to really hang it or am i wrong no you don't you really don't. I mean, all you're really doing is letting those those very first enzymes in Mother Nature yes. really start to lightly caress and decompose the meat at a very gentle like way. dry aging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I'd say definitely make sure you have plenty of salt if you want to like cure your own beef and and pork and stuff like that because we we've done that. To where if like, hey, if we don't have refrigeration, I cured out a whole pig one time. Yeah. And that, some of that sucker's still hanging in my basement and hasn't been refrigerated for over a year and a half. And that meat is still good yet. I mean, there's yeah. bacons hanging down there. Some of my buddies like uh, Zach Bell and Ethan Walker, they've got hams and bacons and different other cuts hanging in their basement that are multiple years old. And we still, whenever we get together, we'll cut a hunk off and crack open a good uh, handmade beer and, and eat them up, man. It is the most delicious food you've ever had in your life. So I bought, so last year in the middle of the pandemic, I bought like a survival seed packet. Cause I was like, I don't, I was living in Kansas at the time. So we weren't near any family. The closest we would have gone, we would have gone to Brian's if something had happened, <laughs> but I, I bought like survival seeds just to have them. And it's, it's just a reassurance. That, um, that I'll have them in my little, my seed library. And then I also bought a book. It's called Self-Sufficiency on a Quarter of an Acre. And it, it's an amazing book for harvesting like game birds and just how to grow these different types of forages or, or, or produce on a really small size parcel. And it's like almost like back bird gardening, gardening, right? So I think there's resources you can always have on hand too, just in case um you want to be prepared yeah the the biggest and best for those in my opinion and i love books and i love videos and dvds but if that is like your immediate prepper prepper circle of influence like who who is it that you can call on that right. saturday that i got an animal uh let's do it okay i'll yes. be there those guys that when you call them their reply is always going to be okay i'll be there that circle of influence uh, in, in a situation, like who is your gang? Who are, who are the guys that you, you call? That is important. And most people don't have that circle, right. which is unfortunate. But that to me is the best asset you can have. Is a so that's a challenge to our listeners to build that circle if you don't have it. Yeah. 
and and it the nice that's the nice thing about having online circle social influence i mean some of it is kind of fake where you think somebody's your friend or you think somebody knows what they're doing (laughs) yeah but you know get together like we're having a giant hey i'm gonna invite the whole red red hills rancher gang we're having a giant event at our farm on next Saturday night on September 25th. Uh, my family's playing uh, gospel bluegrass. It's called Hymns on the Hill. We did it last year. We had 250 people in our backyard sitting on hay bales, sitting here singing gospel oh. hymns. And we've got food for 500 people. We're just opening it up free to the community to come out and enjoy. And all of you are welcome if you want to come. It's in Fredonia, Kansas. Um, but uh, that doing things like that to really open up your circle uh, for people to go, Oh my gosh, look at what this guy has going on. And some of you have that state of fear of like, well, crap really does hit the fan and everybody knows what I have. They're all going to come beating on my doors to try and, well, I'm telling you what, if stuff really does hit the fan, we're not going to be like right here. We're going to be, we've got places way in the Hills and you're not going to find this, but we're going to make sure that our neighbors and everybody is taken care of. Like I'm never going to put my, my family in a vulnerable position to where, you know, if we need to take care of ourselves and this is going to last a whole lot longer than what we think it will, we're going to be bug out, have your bug out bag packed. But regardless, uh, do things and have events and discussions like have, have a farmer's mental health night where you invite out all the local ranchers and farmers and be like, Hey, I just wanted to get everybody together and, 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 and just pump everybody up and let everybody know how, how needed and how much of value you are to this community and how much you are appreciated and cook them all burgers or do the same thing with uh, law enforcement, have them all out to your house. I just wanted to have a, a dinner or a night where, I have you guys out and I just want to have people hear the stories of what's going on on the county roads in our county and invite people from the community. Just tell us what's going on. And you would be so surprised how much people's jaws drop when they hear what is going on at night when they're asleep and these police are out there dealing with, you know, meth head bangers or it causes people to stop and pause and reflect and put their video games down and want to get active and taking back their communities. Right. But it can't happen unless they have a place or a platform to hear other people speak and online just doesn't do it. It's got to be in person. It's got to be genuine. You got to have some food there, a place where people can sit down and look at somebody's face without a mask over the front of it. That is what changes the human perception. And I, I love using our farm as a place for people to gather and meet and go, okay, our country's under attack. Let's, let's freaking get the colors flying high and do something about it. Like this is a rally. Harmony Hill is a rally point for our community to go, let's go out to Harmony Hill and let's hear something, something real, you know, and all of us can do that with our own homes or farms or whatever it may be. And you caught me without another question ready. <laughs> it's just listening to you and eating it up, man. It's good yeah. stuff. You know, so is there a way out? Like, is there a way out for our society, our civilization to keep it, to keep it shit together and keep functioning without collapse over the next 18 months? I think having your people in your small town, letting them know that, you know what, Brian Alexander is for real. That dude is not jacking around. When somebody knows stuff's happening, you're going to be the person that they call 
to go, all right, what are we as a community going to do when our government says, all right, all healthcare workers got to take the jab and, you know, everything, the hospital's shutting down because it doesn't have enough nurses to take care of people and stuff's really starting to unbuckle. Okay. That's when men and women of a community stand up and go, okay, we're taking this into our own hands. And it doesn't matter. Some of your community may not be on board. Okay, go row your boat to a different shore. This is what we're doing. And you bury that flag in the sand and you base it on the principles that our constitution was written on. And you make sure that you you have your sources of food lined out. You gather up people and go, what can you do? What can you do? What can you do? And just really make sure that everything is organized to a, a point where, uh, you you really identify who the leeches are like the ones that are just there to consume like no everybody's here to produce everybody now has a job if you're unemployed you're now employed you have a job you're going to do something to contribute period nobody's just going to sit there and get spoon fed uh it doesn't matter if if you are completely immobile you're going to help read books to a kid you're going to do there is something that you can do you got to change your mindset. Well, what can I do to help? That's the number one question I want my kids to ask in every situation. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? Uh, changing that circle uh, in your community to be able to do that. And most of our small Kansas towns are going to be like that anyway. But man, think about what this would be like in Johnson County or in Sedgwick County or in uh, Shawnee County up in Topeka. I mean, there's going to be mountains. none of that could move mountains change the world it well i'm just saying like that that circle is just so big it would be so hard to organize a how-to because none of the people in that town know how to produce anything of value or worth to help take care of people they're all completely dependent and compromised in that uh environment why is that big urban areas or i'm not familiar say that again what are those counties? Are they big urban areas or is, is that why? Topeka, Wichita, and Kansas City. Okay. And that's what yeah. Shawnee and Johnson County are? Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for us, it's like, okay, oh, we need protection. We, uh, who has guns and ammo? Uh, who has uh, nurturing uh, abilities for, for children to help do that? Well, obviously, the men are out wanting to make sure that we have everything uh, protected. Um, that is where we reassume our primal roles as humans and just jump right back into 1776. And it's like, oh, it's a do-over. Like if you read the book, this is a cool part about that book. Um, the fourth turning is like our generation, the age that all of us are, like we are literally the equivalent to uh, the generation uh, if you know, this cycle plays out and it has many times, like we're literally the generation that wrote the constitution in the next cycle. Like we are the Thomas Jefferson's, the George Washington's, the Ben Franklin's, the John Adams, like that, that's literally us, but they were just in the cycle before us. So I'm telling you what, the ones that are, the ones that are really rattling trees right now are all the people that are our age. And there's a lot of trees that need to be rattled. A lot of them need to be shaken. And there's even a whole bunch of them that need to be cut down because they got killed by beetles. <laughs> I know. Or they're just on fire. <laughs> or it's all deep, on fire. 
That's right. That's how California is burning because of needed to uh, get the fuel out, do some uh, agroforestry. So uh, that might change, but the recalls didn't do anything. So whatever. Yeah. I have a feeling there was some shenanigans going on in that deal. So yeah. it, it seemed right. like there was a whole bunch of people that voted no, they didn't want to recall them and that didn't bother to put anything else out on their ballot. You know, I don't know some of the counts looked a little bit weird, but uh, yeah, we don't want to have to get into electronic no. voting and how much that can be screwed with. So yeah. some, some's bothering me a little bit, Matt, you know, and I, I have trouble reconciling this myself about, you know, the traditional gender roles of men and women in relation to agriculture. And we're trying to square these ideas with, you know, with, I guess, equality, um, equality between the genders. And, and I guess some, there's, you know, there's a sexism aspect in there to it too, you know, cause we don't want to, we don't necessarily want to go back to the, like the fifties housewife or, you know, the twenties farm wife, you know, that's what we're not, what we're talking about, but I think, well, more what we're talking about is more defined roles for the genders, but not necessarily being constrained by those roles, but at least having, you know, defined, you know, there, there's some kind of structure, you know, women are better at some things, men are better at mm. some things. And that's, you know, we're all the same. We're just made out of, we're made out of the same parts, just assembled a little bit differently. So what, what do you have to say about that, Matt? Well, here's the, here's the, here's the crazy part about this. Like I am obviously a full blooded male, no questions about it, but I do historically the job that a woman would have done. Like I do my family's laundry. I homeschool the kids. I stay at home with the children. I do what, you know, a hundred years ago, a man would have never done any one of those three things. And my wife is the one that she has the job and goes out, does that, makes money and comes home. And I have what used to be the wife did and have, I am the one that prepares the food. And so for my man ego you know changing that uh psychological role or stereotype that our society would have been like hey did you know you're doing a woman's job like no 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 i'm doing a human's job of and i and i reassign that especially for the men in this world where it's like the man that was almost stereotyped of like i have nothing to do with my children i go out and i do the man thing and then when i come home my wife serves me and puts rose petals on the floor as I walk in the house and I sit down in the chair and turn on TV and she cleans the house for me. And, and that, <laughs> that stereotype was so demoralizing for women. Because and we all agree here, that that's just not cool. That's no. just not cool. No, not even close, but I will say that there was also a bell curve where the, the man's primal urge is to want to do anything that we can to render respect out of our house. Like our love language as men is respect. When our wives respect us, we do everything in our power to make sure that she is protected. She is nurtured. She is love. And our wives' love language is love. I mean, it is 
us you know being affectionate and showing that we are totally switched on to what her needs are and those all got crisscrossed where you know in the in when women were really allowed to do whatever it is they wanted to it really came at the expense of men were very disrespected in that time and women became very independent i can do what i want and i don't need the help of no man to do it well primarily women really like to know that they are protected and men really like to protect women they really do yes there was some you know awful abuse things but i think a lot of that stuff happened when we really quit giving a lot of face value to how we as different sexes perceive and and metabolize love from the opposite sex and you know and even in the own house like men and women really quit showing you know their affection even in front of their own kids like they just wouldn't hug or kiss each other at home and while their kids were watching they'd watch this really messed up skewed version of a disjunct family on the tv but they never really got to see what a fully functional mom and dad operated like in the house because everybody was on the go and nobody really got time to sit around the dinner table and talk about these things. And so they got their view of reality from whatever they were TV show they were watching. And that was what they thought, well, if I'm a man, that's what a man's like on TV. So that that's going to be what I am. And yeah, that's my thought on that. <laughs> and where, you know, so you just kind of described like the typical suburban household, you know, man, wife, couple of kids, maybe a dog, probably a cat. They're in public school all day. And then after school, there's always after school activities There's sports games. And you know, the, those kids spend all their time around the teachers, the school staff, other kids and the coaches but they never spend any, they don't spend a lot of time with their parents. They don't get to see that functional man and woman coexisting to, to share common goals and common dreams. They don't get to see that dynamic and how that functions. And there's definitely a lot to what you're saying. You know, we can't let television sitcoms teach another generation of humans how to be humans. Yeah, we've we've just it's turned out so many defective humans already. We've got to stop this madness. Yep. Yep. It, like even if you screw up everything else about the homeschooling experience, but you nail how to be a resilient, hardworking, respectful human. But maybe they don't read or write or do math. They're still literally going to whoop everybody else in society just because they have that ability to be they're going to figure out what they can't do well and they're going to figure out how to do it well just because of those things and the the only person that is qualified enough to do that is you the mom and you the dad not the specialist in town that you know has the credentials to call themselves a teacher that is mom and dad's job it always has been, and it always will be. And we as parents have got to go, I'm not hiring this job out anymore. It, it's just not working. Uh, I'm going to take this job back. 
We're going to turn off the TV. We're going to launch it into the yard and we're going to sit down. And the first few times, if you do try this and you do like a, just an absolute overhaul, rip the pistons out and replace everything. Like it's, it's going to take some time before your kids really see the benefit of why you're doing what you're doing, but just hold firm and, and make sure you're always doing it for the right reasons. But they will see, it will take time, but they will see, Oh, wow. Look at me. I, I really stand out from the bunch. I have qualities that none of these other young men have. Thank you, mom. Thank you, dad. Thank you for disciplining me. Thank you for showing me how to have self-control and, and how to, you know, have these skills because you only get one shot and then it's over and you don't get a do-over. So choose wisely. I think, Brian, just if I can interrupt, I've seen something that you've done with your daughter that I really have admired that I think a lot of, I think even women my age, like you taught her, she can drive a man or a manual uh, vehicle. She's, she's actually helped friends in high school, right? Guy friends in high school, how to uh, jumpstart their cars. And she can do all of these things that I think usually were the male learns to do, but the female's not taught it. And so I think that's something else that I just admire that uh, I think agriculture and people who, who know what it's like to be stranded, not wanting to feel that vulnerability. So I think that's also something that I've always struck a chord with, with if I ever have a daughter, I want her to learn everything that a male would learn to and not put a gender norm on it because yep. if she's stuck somewhere, I don't want her to depend on her cell phone that's out of service or dead or be stranded. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it was a lot of fun teaching her to drive a manual. I'm not gonna say that it wasn't stressful and I didn't wanna tear my hair out, but I'm also not gonna say we had to replace the clutch in that vehicle either. I mean, she did a pretty good job. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've always looked at it as, you know, as a parent, to a young person, it's my job to train them to be a good replacement. Mm -hmm. Like we need to be training good replacement adults and the school system does a fantastically poor job of it. You know, what the public school system does do a good job of doing is it makes good tax slaves. It doesn't, it, it's not good for independent free thinkers, for critical thinkers or for the people that are on either the far left or the far right side of that bell curve that just fits in a little box of what they want a normal neurotypical student to be. In homeschooling, you don't have that. Like you're not trying to cater to the middle of that bell curve. Right. Yeah. You know, you, and it's not like there's a grade system. It's not like, well, you're 10 years old, so you're going to be in sixth grade. No, it's you're, you're, you're taught to your ability. And you're yep. taught to the best of your ability to maximize your ability. Not just, you know, trying to train everybody to the same minimum standard. And yep. that, that brings up something else that I saw the other day about, and I'm not sure how much I believe this, that, you know, the whole public school system was started around the industrial revolution because A, they wanted to get, you know, the kids out of the factories. But B, they also wanted to say, oh, okay, well, if we got to take all these kids out of the factories, we need to give them the fundamentals to go be a good factory worker. Okay, I can kind of see that. But over the years, it's just got dumbed down so much. It's like, okay, 
what are we really teaching them anymore? You know, what, what level of competency to exist in the world does a person have when they graduate high school? Like it, that high school diploma almost confers nothing. Like you showed up for 12 years and present, you know, like that's a participation trophy almost. Yeah. It, now what, what skills do most high school kids have when they leave? Like, can you do something? I mean, most valedictorians and salutatorians of their class, they're very brilliant, bright people, but as far as having those soft, those not so soft skills, but the, the, the workers trade skills, you don't start finding that till you get to the, the middle to lower top they've, third. Exactly. They've taken it out. Your- they've taken music, the wood shop, mechanics, all of those lifelong skills. They've taken yeah. them out. It's all about taking tests. Yep. I mean, the, the things that the, the metrics that we have chosen to quantify, to value what it is, is a good student has completely trashed the education system because of the metrics we've chosen to measure just by that alone, because every human's, you know, natural tendency is to want to chase what it is we value. And when you do that, well, you're going to have to to reap the consequences if you value the wrong things. And that's exactly where we are. We don't value that lower to middle third, but that's what carried this nation to make it what it was. Those are the people that literally built the backbone and infrastructure for this whole country, yet they're completely demoralized. Like, you know, farmers have a stereotype stigma that you're, if you're a dummy, go be a farmer. Man, farmers are some of the most absolute, brilliant, bright people that can do things that most of your six figure income city people could never ever think of doing uh we got to get back to that as fast as possible i i really worry that we i really worry and wonder if we have enough time like time oh man time is of the essence right now i don't know if we do that's why i'm saying it's now's the time to be building your own systems that is where we need to be in hyper warp speed for our own. We can't control other people's families and households and what they're doing, but we can, we can definitely control what we are doing with our own kids and our own families and immediate family and circle of influence that we can control everything else. It'll happen as it happens because we got to make it look like what we're doing. Other people see us doing what they're like, damn, look what, look what Brian's doing. Look what Matt's doing. I think we ought to do what they're doing. And as soon as people go, you know, we're not out there yelling for like, the, the, the shot's going to kill you or whatever it is. You're trying to like scare people and use fear. We just got to do it to where people look at our lifestyle and us doing the, 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 the necessary preparations to make sure that we are resilient. That is very infectious uh, and addictive for people like, man, I want to make sure that every, I'm safe. I, I want to go do what Brian's doing with my kids. That's how this whole thing from the grassroots up, it's, that's the only way. We could yell wolf from the mountaintops all we want to, but, and the reality is we got to make being an extremely hardworking, resilient, prepared human look fun. And once you do it, it is, it really is. Uh, Because 
everybody that's in our circle of influence comes over here and we have a blast like every night of the week having people over but it's all with like-minded prepper uh hard-working people uh, that are really in it for the same reasons we are and more people have have joined the bandwagon in the last year and a half especially so i really wish we i lived closer i'd probably I know, be over man. there a lot <laughs> i know i know like hey 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 honey uh ryan and the family's coming over this uh thursday night for dinner oh okay all right sometime we'll just have to do that make the road trip and just have you guys out here or us out there either one i'd love that man that's only a few hours i mean i think it's only like three three and a half hours nothing but a step for a stepper oh dude three hours that ain't ain't no big deal We'll camp out in your pasture, you know, make it overnight and then head home the next day. We can make that work. We can definitely make that work. <laughs> I like it. So, so Matt, it, man, it's been great. It's uh, we're coming up on an hour and a half here. Um, you got any, uh, you got anything you want to know from me or CK today? Yeah. Uh, CK, I guess I don't know. I haven't got to hang with you much. Tell me just real quick about, what it is you do and how you and Brian got the podcasting. Uh, yeah. So I, um, I actually work with pasture map who's sponsoring the podcast and what Brian and I've worked together for years because he's basically been the main influence of what we've created and what we develop on the software, uh, year after year. So he's him and I have been buddies when I moved to Kansas. I was like, Hey, I'm moving to Kansas. I'm going to come visit you. That's cool. And then that's when we, decided to do the podcast after COVID hit, we're like, it sucks not going to conferences. So um, how do we get these conversations going again that we usually have at conferences that we miss so much? And that's kind of how uh, the podcast came to fruition. That's awesome. This this is- I'm in Idaho now, so I'm nowhere near you guys. Wow. So I can't visit unless- away. Yeah, yeah. Well, Idaho would probably be a pretty nice place to be maybe in an apocalyptic event though, however. Oh yeah, my my uh, father-in-law has a freeze dryer. So we have about a room full of totes of freeze dried goods that we've been doing for years now. So mm -hmm. it's it's nice to know we have that 30 acres away. Is he still that keeping that freeze dryer going 24 seven? It, it hasn't since we've been home um, just because we had like the 4-H um events and people visiting from out of town and stuff but it usually is and now that he's he's done and getting so like we're getting peaches that are harvested and apples are coming back and we're starting to harvest the garden it's coming back so we're doing a lot of beans and stuff like that too wow. um you know that's awesome yeah yeah brian i guess we're just gonna have to you and i figure out a time where we can get together and meet up and do something in person sometime that that would be that's my favorite thing. I mean, I like Zoom and all. I, I love being able to do this with you guys, but I'm an in, I'm an in-person type of guy. So, you know, I, I yeah. really wish I would have been able to make it over to the Fuller Field School last week. That would have been so much fun. I mean, you were there, of course, Gail and Jessica Nad and Candy Thomas, and you know, I know Ethan was there, and you know, the, just just the whole spectrum of all my favorite outlaws in the regenerative agriculture sector and. Unfortunately, I, I had prior commitments. To, you want okay, to talk well, about, uh, you want to say something about the Fuller Field School before we uh, slide out of here today? 
Sure. Uh, Gail Fuller over in Severy, Kansas, every year has a, a, a field school and it, and it really stems around food quality, nutrient density, and what we as farmers can do to connect to a direct customer base type setup with our, our farms, figuring out what our strengths are. His, he has a, a 120 acre regenerative farm there. Um, and incorporates all different kinds of speakers. We had Sarah Keogh, um, whom I would, I would really encourage you to get her on. She is an absolute master of human nutrition. Uh, she spoke to us about so many things that are going on in the COVID world and what's wrong with our immune systems as humans and what industrial food has done to absolutely destroy us at a cellular level. And then uh, Nicole Masters spoke to us about a lot of things we could do as farmers and ranchers to amend the soil in a very inexpensive, non-industrial way, not using your industrial phosphates to really blast uh, forward your, your soil health program, making your pasture more resilient in drought times and in flood times, uh, keeping as many natural resources on the land as possible. And the best thing about it is spending two straight days with just a complete network in person where you can walk around, shake hands and meet chefs and moms and dads and farmers that all value the same thing you do. Uh, so I'd encourage you, uh, Gail's page is called Circle 7 by Fuller Farms. I'd encourage you to add him on Facebook and he puts it out every year. Usually he only lets about 100 people in. Uh, my kids and I, we go every year. I've been for the last five years. I'll tell you this, Gail's first field school he had was the year he had Dr. Don uh, Hubert on from the University of Purdue that told us about what glyphosate and GMOs were really doing to our bodies. And that next week I went in and that was part of the reason why I wanted to raise food. Uh, and I quit my job as a school teacher that very next week. That was the last piece that came into play after I saw the homeschool kids and I saw what we were eating as a human society. And I was like, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta do something about this. I can't save these kids as their band director. Nice. I gotta start raising food. And that was, that was the last piece to be put in place that sent me on a just warp speed track um, to doing what I do now. So Gail is a great source for people here in Southeast Kansas. And we're very glad that he's He's around here and, and certainly Brian's going to be there next year. My kids and I, we play music in uh, bluegrass over the lunch hour every day for sort of entertainment. So it's a, uh, it's a great time. I, I have to get Gail on. I we definitely have to get Gail Fuller on. I've known that guy forever. Uh, I just, I, I got to get him on this podcast. So uh, you and your kids, you guys played music somewhere else. Kind of cool recently since the field school or uh, fuller field school right yeah we just uh we headlined uh at the uh what was the name of that stage it was the lake talbot stage out at the kansas state fair and uh we were down in cambridge kansas the week before and we played the state fair last friday and this next saturday night we're going to be live here at harmony hill farmstead for about 500 people uh so the kids my kids have played well over for several thousand people just in 2021 and uh you know as a nine-year-old playing live music for several thousand people is uh that's a pretty cool thing that I wish I could have done when I was her age but you know she's the the cool part is the people she's got to meet that is her favorite part of playing music is meeting people so 
at yeah. nine years old is that is that the youngest band member that's the oldest kennedy is seven she plays mandolin and carson actually is the youngest performer at five years old uh he sings god bless the usa by lee greenwood in front he just walks up to the microphone and steps on the gas and just wails man i mean he loves to sing for people and he is not afraid to belt it out. Uh, so he'll be singing that uh, God bless USA next week for hymns on the hill. That's his favorite song to do. So, cause he knows he gets the best crowd reaction. It's a good song. People. We all love that song. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. It's he hard not to get into it. Yeah. Little American flag t-shirt and just steps up there with his cowboy hat, man. He's got all the girls wrapped around his finger it's it's pretty cool so that's that's awesome to hear and i think that's a great note to end on yeah man matt we really appreciate you joining us today ck you got anything on your mind no but sorry my dog's snoring in the background so hopefully that didn't pick up <laughs> I, I haven't noticed it okay good if you if you did notice it and you listen go ahead and drop you know tell me because it's pretty loud <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Matt, thanks for joining us today. And uh, we'll catch everybody next week. Yeah, appreciate you guys. Nice Be to careful. meet you. Yep, you too. We'll see you guys later.